Last weekend, we meditated on the words of Paul in his first letter to the Thessalonians. And last week, we looked at the uh, attributes, the distinguishing spiritual characteristics of Christian community. And today, we continue our uh, meditation in Thessalonians, this time the second chapter. Having looked at the community that is created in Christ, we now look at what that community um, is to be doing what we're to be about. So the apostle writes, you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children, So deeply did we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you've become very dear to us. You remember our labor labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We work night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure upright and blameless our conduct was toward you believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is. God's word, which is also at work in you, believers. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So what is this community, this Christian community be about? Uh, We're to be people who are into evangelism. That's a word we don't use in our day-to-day conversations, is it? It might be part of our vocabulary when we're doing church talk. But evangelism is what we're called to do, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in a church I served long ago, uh, they had in their working definition of evangelism this. Our mission is to confront others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I asked them, so how's that evangelical confrontation going? Because by the time they were willing to interview me, a young pastor, a blue light special, um, their membership had gone down about 50%, and their worship had gone from 300 to less than 120. I said, so how is it working to confront people with Jesus? All I got was silence. They were sincere in their desire to tell other people about Jesus Christ. They were... Sincere in their desire that no one go to hell. But somehow the way they understood evangelism did not encourage people to come and experience Christian community, 
to want to find out more about this Jesus who was crucified, died, buried, and raised. Do you like being confronted? Do you like confronting others? It it rarely succeeds, especially with strangers. But that word evangelism really doesn't have to do with confrontation. It comes from a Greek word, evangelion, which means good news, sometimes translated as gospel. If you were to look in your Bibles, and in the Bibles we have in each row, in our Bibles here in the sanctuary, I think it's on page 877, page 877, you see that the book of Matthew is really not the book of Matthew, it's the Evangelion, the good news according to Matthew. And Mark, Luke, and John are titled the same way, the good news, the Evangelion according to their witnesses. Confrontation rarely feels like good news to me. I don't like it when Kirsten confronts me. I didn't like it as a boy when my parents confronted me. I didn't like it when teachers confronted me. I don't think confrontation is rightly in the spirit of biblical evangelism. And Paul says that this community that is called to be about evangelization is to do it with patience, uh, even if it requires long-suffering, and they are to be persuasive. They don't hold back from the truth of who God is. They don't hold back from the truth of our living in death and sin in desperate need of the blood of Jesus. But they share that good news, this word of the Lord, in such a way as to encourage and invite and win others over for the sake of Christ. So in this portion of the letter to the Christians in Thessalonica, I think we learn some things about the timelessness of biblical evangelism. First of all, it requires courage. Paul tells us that suffering went right along with sharing the gospel wherever he went. He even says that he and others had been mistreated shamefully. And you wonder what kind of public shame they experienced in that mistreatment. Yet they had courage to persevere, courage that was not of their own volition, but it was courage in God. Um, Growing up, With my father as an army aviator, I heard a lot about Eddie Rickenbacker. Some of you know about him. He was a fighter ace, received the Medal of Honor, um, went on to become a race car driver, a uh, automotive designer. He consulted with our government professionally for years. Some of you remember Eastern Airlines, where he was the president for a while. Rickenbacker, who did all these things, said, courage is doing what you need to do when you're afraid to. There can be no courage There can be no courage unless you're scared. Well, people tell me, Pastor, I hear you preach from time to time on leading people to Christ and sharing my faith with others, but I'm I'm afraid to do that. Well, some of them go on to say, well, it's, it's easy for pastors because it's your natural inclination to do this. Says who? Says who? Uh, When I have finally sensed that it's time to share my faith with someone I've met in this community of Albuquerque, in various nonprofit organizations at the gym where I work, I do a lot of praying and I get a little nervous because they might not like what I have to say. They might reject me. Some of them have told me where to go. 
So don't think that telling others about Jesus Christ comes naturally for preachers. I don't think it comes naturally for any of us. Naturally, we're in bondage to sin and death. But I find this courage to share my faith, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, with people who don't yet know him. And folks tell me, yeah, but if I do that, they might reject me. They might ridicule me. They might treat me differently. This goes for students as well as adults. But I ask of you what I ask of myself. If others like me, if others treat me with kindness and civility, while I keep my faith to myself, are they really being kind to, and do they really like, the authentic Bruce Wilder? (laughs) Or do they like the person I'm pretending to be, keeping that part of my life, which is the most important part, veiled? So our courage to do the sharing of the gospel is in God. It is not in ourselves. This morning at 8 o'clock, I'm not picking on the 8 o'clock worshipers, but right in the middle of my sermon, I had people at 8 o'clock doing this to me. Last Sunday, they were doing this. For the record, for the record, I'm not in charge of the HVAC. I do what I can between services to adjust, and I still get complaints. Too hot, too cold, move about. We have some hot spots and cool spots in the sanctuary. If you sit in the same place every Sunday, it ain't my fault. But as we gather here, where it can be too cold one Sunday and too warm the next, there are Christians sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and they might get warned because they might be um, burned to death. They might be in a cold prison, their property confiscated, arrested, tortured, executed, because they are daring to share the good news of Jesus Christ in cultures that do not celebrate the church. They don't know if other people will like them or not once they've shared the gospel. And they're not doing it to win a popularity contest. But they have this courage in the Lord that I wish the church in North America had just a little bit of. Because they know they've been entrusted by God with the evangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ for a lost world that's dying. And that leads me to the second insight from Paul. It's a matter of trust. Evangelism is not self-confidence, but confidence that comes from knowing that God chooses to be among us and at work through us. Paul says that the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others can be done because God has entrusted us with the message. And God knows what he's doing. He's entrusted us with the message. I'll share with you a story of two fathers that I shared about 10 years ago. Uh, One father and his son are in the backyard, and he puts his boy up on the railing of the the back porch. The boy's standing there, and the father says, now hold on to the post. And He climbs down and says, now now jump. Jump. And the boy says, Dad, I'm scared. I don't want to jump. He says, jump. Daddy, I don't want to jump. And when the boy jumps, the father turns, and he lands on the ground, begins crying. And he picks his boy up, and he says, let that be a lesson, son. Don't you ever trust anybody. Second father's out hiking in the mountains with his son. They're enjoying a lunch that mom packed for them that morning. And as the father's 
enjoying his bologna sandwich, he hears this, Dad, catch me. And he turns around, and the son's already midair, jumping from a boulder behind them. And the father drops his sandwich, grabs the boy, and falls to the ground and says, what, Why did you do that? And he says, Because you're my dad. I knew you'd catch me. His confidence was based on the fact that his father was completely trustworthy. I know it's hard for some of you to trust other people, to trust anyone, because you've had too many experiences like the first boy. People that should have cared for you and protected you did not. And so at an early age, you learn not to trust other people. Because when you do that, it can lead to hurts and disappointments. But God, the one we heard in the psalm, who created the heavens and the earth and the entire universe, this true God trusts us to be his ambassadors. He has entrusted us, his people, with the message of holy love and perfect grace. So while others may have betrayed you or abandoned you, God believes you're worth dying for. And that's exactly what he did for you on the cross. And it's this God, crucified and raised, who has entrusted us with a message of life and freedom that the world desperately needs. And this God, unlike all the false gods, is trustworthy. Paul also says that evangelism is done with gentleness not this in-your-face confrontation style that so many think it is. We don't see him condemning the Thessalonians before they came to Christ or trying to frighten them into faith. In fact, he says that in our work, we were as gentle with you as a nurse with a newborn child. We were as gentle as a father like the one with his son jumping from the boulder A father who encourages and can be trusted. Sadly, too many people, especially church men, think that gentleness is some sign of weakness, of being timid or a milk toast. And that's not true at all. When I think about gentleness, uh, the most powerful image I have goes back to my days in Minnesota when we lived just about six miles from the Canadian border. Long story made short, we had a German Shepherd female that my daughter's named Shira. She was a great dog. There were no mountains to climb in northern Minnesota, if you know that part of northern Minnesota where you can stand in your yard and I can see Canada from here. I can see North Dakota from here. I mean, it's just flat as a pancake. But there were some woods and there were some areas with brush and I loved to take Shira far enough out of town where we could walk and I could let her go off leash. And on one of those walks, it was October as I recall, I heard this noise ahead of her. She was about 15 yards ahead of me. And it was something like, and the hair on my arm stood up and the hair on Shira's back stood up. And before I knew it, there was a black bear. And Shira looked at me, she looked at the bear, and then she let out a growl like I'd never heard from any dog ever since. And that bear turned around and went away. She put herself between me and the bear. And I think, I'd like to think she did that to protect me. 
But that same dog that stood face to face with not a grizzly, but a really big fat black bear demonstrated the most tender care and gentleness when she gave birth to her first litter of 11 pups. And I feel sorry for those of us who weren't raised on farms, who can't see life unfold. But at least my daughters got to see 11 pups being born in the middle of the night. It's a miracle. It's wondrous. And they watched Shira, who faced down a bear, just showing so much tenderness and gentle care for her newborn pups. No one is more powerful than God. I mean, one of our attributes of God is his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. And yet this God humbled himself and took the form of a servant, a slave, dying on a cross that we might have life. Jesus was no wimp. Could have called down, as the old gospel hymn says, an army of angels to defend him and save him from the cross. But he chose to go that way. He chose to fight alone on that cross. For on that cross, with arms outstretched, he did battle with the devil and death. And if you don't know it, they lost. There's a gentleness like none other in God's amazing love. There's a strength in that same love, unlike any power in the universe. And as evangelists, we're called to be strong in faith. We're reminded to have courage in the Lord. But God would have us share the good news of Jesus with others in a spirit of gentleness. And that means patience. And that means humility. And we do all these things, finally, and I think probably most significantly, as an act of obedience. Paul reminded the Thessalonian Christians, he reminds us in this letter that his work of evangelization was really a matter of obedience. That was his ultimate motivation to please God and be faithful to his calling in Christ. The word of God always moves us to action. For being a Christian is not just a matter of mental agreement. It's not even a matter of simply the feelings of the heart, but it's a matter of the whole person. Yes, our, our faith, our, our spirit-led emotion, but also our desire to serve God in daily life, no matter where he's planted you. We serve the Lord not just when we're in church or going on a mission trip or volunteering for VBS, but in our daily life with the entirety of our being. Now, this is probably the last time I'm going to be able to share this illustration because it's getting woefully outdated. And I'm not ashamed to say I remember a day and an age where people actually sat down and wrote letters to each other. And now if I get a letter, a real letter handwritten in the mail, it's like this amazing gift. And it's usually from an older person who still remembers the lost art of letter writing. So I know in this age of email and text messaging, this illustration from Charles Swindoll is uh, very 20th century. But in his book, Living Above Mediocrity, he tells this story that um, is trying to make a point about how so many people treat the Bible. It goes like this. Imagine you work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel abroad he says to you and all the other trusted employees, I have to leave, and while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to my business. I'm leaving you to take care of things, and I'm going to write you regularly, and I will instruct you what you should do until I return. He leaves. He's gone. During the time, he writes often. 
He very clearly communicates his desires, his concerns. He finally returns, walks up to the front door of the building, and everything's in shambles. Weeds flourishing, windows broken across the front of the building, person at the front desk is asleep, loud music blaring from several office cubicles. Two or three people are horsing around in the back room. The business, instead of growing, has suffered loss after loss. He calls everyone together for an emergency meeting and says, what in the world happened? What? Didn't you get my letters? And someone says, yes, we got all of your letters. Every single one of them. And we bound them in a book. And some of us have memorized them. In fact, every Sunday we have letter study sessions. You know, those are really awesome letters. But the president says, but what did you do about my instructions? And one person says, well, nothing. But we read over and over every single one. You see, that's what so many people do, not you. But so many people do with their Bible studies. We read the Word. Some of us even memorize long portions of Scripture. But do we put it in action? Do we do the Word? As Jesus says we are to do in Matthew 7. Don't just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. So when we do the Word, we tell people about Jesus. We evangelize. Not because it's easy. Not because it sometimes doesn't intimidate. And certainly not because it promises to make us well-liked or more popular at school or at work. We do it ultimately out of obedience. Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go, make disciples until I come again. That's not a suggestion. (laughs) It's a commandment. Finally, a quote that maybe you haven't heard from the well-read and widely studied Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German Lutheran pastor during World War II, who was arrested for his courage to stand up against the Nazi regime and Adolf Hitler who was imprisoned and who was hanged at the gallows days before the Allied forces liberated that camp. Shortly before his death, young Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, One, one, one act of obedience is far better than a hundred sermons. I will add my amen to Bonhoeffer. If one and only one person here today chooses in the coming days to share his or her faith with someone who has yet to know Jesus? Well, that's better than a thousand sermons I could ever preach on evangelism. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.